Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Acts chapter 20, uh, 21, actually, we're going to leapfrog Acts chapter 20. I'll stop there for just a second this morning so I can pull out one of the highlights so Acts 21 will make sense. But essentially what we're looking at is we're following right now in the, story, in, the, in the book of Acts, we're following the Apostle Paul through his journey of being a missionary, one of the first missionaries for this New Testament church of Jesus Christ that is brand new. He's one of the pioneering leaders. We hear about the Apostle Paul and all the works that he's done. We're, we're learning a lot of practical wisdom about how to be a people who are living on mission for the sake of the glory of God and the good of our communities as we are ministering the gospel in the world around us in some very unique and challenging ways. And we have a front row seat to some of the practical wisdom of what it looks like to do that. Now, today what we're going to see in the Apostle Paul's life, quite simply put, is um, a situation that many of you may find yourself in this morning, and that's trying to discern the voice of God. Trying to figure out, like, what is it? Is, is God telling me to turn left, turn right, go do the thing, not do the thing, stay here, take the job, buy the house, get married, not sure? Like, trying to discern the voice of God um, through a myriad of other voices in your life. As a matter of fact, since I've been going with some long sermon titles over the last few weeks, I figured I'd stick with the trend. It seems to be working okay for So here it is. Hearing the call of God through a myriad of other voices is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, can you relate? Trying to, trying to discern the voice of the Holy One when we've got all these other influential voices in our life from people we love and care about. They may love the Lord too, um, but it's like, man, how do I know for sure, Lord, that it's your voice breaking through here and what do I do? Uh, here, this is what we're going to talk about. Uh, through this conversation this morning in the Apostle Paul's life as he finds himself in a difficult spot of discerning the voice of God amidst a myriad of other voices. Um, there's two, two groups of folks I'm going to really talk to this morning in this brief conversation about this. Group number one is obviously you who are trying to discern the voice of God and figure out, okay, is this the right next step for us, uh, for me? Um, Lord, are you telling me to do the thing or are you not telling me to do the thing? I'm having a hard time sorting through that right now. So that'll be you. You, O oh, seeker of the voice of God, that's category number one. And there's a little bit in this conversation today that is meant for the person who cares about the person who believes that they are hearing the call of God on their life to go do a thing. All right? Category number two, it's you who care about the person who believes that they're hearing the call of God, but you got an opinion about whether they're hearing the call of God clearly or not. All right, there's a little something in here for you as well. And so, um, you know, as we, you know what, as we begin this, uh, one of my biggest concerns, let me just put this out on the table. One of my biggest concerns is that you will hear me this morning and not hear the voice of God. And if you just hear me in this, you're going to be led astray. Because we have a tendency as people to hear what we want to hear. So one of my concerns in having this conversation is that is going to affirm the person that should be convicted or it's going to convict the person that should be affirmed. So I've surrendered this to the Lord because only he knows how to speak the language of the listener. 
And I want to start by praying and us aligning our hearts with him and invite him to affirm the direction, if this is in fact his direction for our lives, this decision we're going to make, or to bring conviction to us if we need to listen to some of the other voices in our life and stop. And go left, go right, stop, turn around, go back. So let's just pray about that right now as we surrender this whole thing to the Lord. Okay, here we go. Uh, Lord, only, you're, only you know the heart of those who are listening, and only you know how to speak to them well. And Father, I, I've, I've told you, and we have talked about this, I fear that somebody's going to hear what they want to hear this morning instead of hearing the voice of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you would all beckon our hearts to be able to hear and discern the voice of the Holy Spirit, that my words would only accentuate that which you are already saying in the life of the person. So, Lord, would you affirm the one that just needs affirmation and confidence to keep moving forward faithfully in what you've told him to do? But would you bring conviction to the one that thinks they've been following God, but they've been following their feelings, and they need to be made fully aware of the fact that they have drifted off the path of what you have for them? Would you, you're the only one that can do that. I'll mess it up. So, Lord, would you step in, and would you do that kind of work this morning? In Jesus' name. Amen. That's the goal of today, for you to be able to discern the voice of God in your life. If you're in a season of searching, if you're not in a season of searching, you will be soon. So this will be a good opportunity to take notes. We've talked about being able to determine the will of God for your life in a variety of different sermons before. This one's going to take on a bit of a different shape um, because of this is when you, fit, when you believe that you have the direction that God has given you, but yet you have other voices in your life trying to pull you away from that. So this is kind of a different nuance to that. Now, um, let me just give you some um, practical biblical wisdom to set the foundation for what we're about to see in Acts chapter 20 and 21, okay? On its most surface level, the way that you know, okay, one of the ways that you can measure whether you are hearing the voice of God clearly when it comes to him giving direction in your life is three simple practical things, all right, that'll give you some bumpers here, all right, for this, all right. Uh, thing number one for those of you note takers is is it confirmed by the word of God, all right? Is it confirmed by the word of God? And I'm not talking about like when you, when you feel like God's telling you to do something, you hop on Google and say, what does the Bible say about, all right? All right, because what's gonna happen is you're gonna get all kinds of different articles and teachings that may be way off center, okay? So I'm talking about, is it confirmed in the word of God as I am studying and learning the word of God for my life? Am I seeing direct contradictions between what I feel like God is telling me to do and what his word is saying? All right? Because if it's not, God's never going to contradict himself. So if it's not confirmed in the word of God, you already know it's not the voice of God. All right? Just, just to be clear, all right, God has not told you to leave your wife and children. Let me just help you with that. But I thought God wanted me to be happy. He don't care about that. He cares about your holiness. He cares about the fact that he's entrusted these, this spouse and these children to you. He's never going to contradict himself. The word of God. Let, let me tell you what the will of God is for your life according to the word of God in its broadest sense. That you would come to a realization that Jesus is king and savior and he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. That is the will of God for you. The second thing is, his will is that you would learn to submit all the stuff of your life to Jesus as King and Lord. All the stuff. All the stuff. Where you live, work, and play, what you buy, what you do, all the stuff. Second thing, that, that is the will of God for your life. Third thing, 
as you are a Christ follower who is submitting all the stuff of life, the third overarching will that God has for your life is that you would be a disciple maker everywhere you already are. That's the third thing. Now the fourth thing, and this is where all the nuances come in, it's not a question of those first three. Those first three are universal and apply to all of us. The thing number four is where the nuances come in, and is that is where and how does God want me to submit all the stuff of life to Jesus and make disciples everywhere I am? This is where we get hung up. Do I take the job? Do I buy the house? Do I move? Do I stay? Do I, do I step forward? Do I get married to this person? Do I not? This is all revolving around his sovereign will for your life of making kingdom disciple makers out of everyone who believes. So he may call you to do it in the agriculture world. He may call you to do it in vocational ministry. He may call you to do it as an engineer or as a teacher. But the bottom line is like the will of God for your life, his sovereign overarching will is the same. And we want to make sure that whatever it is you're thinking about doing lines up with that because if it doesn't, it's not the voice of God. It's something you ate for dinner last night. Trust me. Number one, does the word of God confirm it? Number two, all right, is it confirmed by the people of God? And I'm not talking about your friends that consider themselves Christians. I'm talking about the people in your life that have a tried and true, sure enough walk with Jesus that you've seen modeled over time in their life, and they have a regular relationship with the Lord. They're spending time in the Word of God regularly. They're spending time around the people of God regularly. Are those people in your life affirming that this is God's will for you? That's a, that's a niche group in your life. Let's call it what it is. Are those people affirming it? Are those people stepping back and saying, man, I don't know. You should think about that. You should pray about that, man. I don't know if you're hearing God clearly on this because the Word of God says, or I'm just discerning this. Now, it doesn't mean that they're always right, and even what they're telling you may be right and good. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily God for you. All right, we'll talk about that specifically today. But it definitely should give us pause and raise our antenna if godly people in our lives are saying, whoa, whoa, you, you, you're going to do what? That should make us pause. If you don't have any godly people in your life that you can bounce that stuff off of, our pastors and elders want to play a part in that journey for you. But even more so, we want to connect you with Jesus following disciple-making people through our DNA groups and gatherings all throughout the heartland so that you are in relationship with people that are pursuing the Lord in that way. So that you do have a safe place to bounce those things and figure out what your godly options are in certain situations. This is why we're moving that direction as a church so that the people of God confirm it. Last but not least, and in no particular order, does the Spirit of God confirm it? Now, this can be hard to discern. You may have to kind of figure out what the Spirit of God is telling you to do based on the Word of God and the people of God. But when the Spirit of God confirms something in your heart, I can tell you, like, one of the discerning factors for me that I know that it's the Holy Spirit and not obligation or guilt or whatever is that my heart transitions from obligation to motivation. I may not be happy about doing the thing, but there's a certain, like, there's a certain motivation in my heart to long to honor the Lord because he has told me very clearly to do a thing. And it's not just like I'm moving towards this thing because I feel guilty or I don't want to mess it up. But like there is like this, this soul-wrenching evidence in my life that I just know, man, this is, this is the voice of the Lord. His word confirms it. His people are confirming it. I like have a deep sense of conviction in my heart that this is what I'm supposed to do. And so... Even though I may still be walking through the fog and I can't be 100% sure, like, I'm going to go with that and just trust God to, like, stop me if I'm moving in the wrong direction. 
because all the other things are green lights. And we move forward and we trust God to step in the way if that's not right, but we're honoring God with every piece of the puzzle at that point and trusting him with the rest. Now, here's, here's a few verses, that you, or a couple verses you might find helpful as you are trying to figure out how to begin the journey of discerning the call of God on your life or figuring out if where you're at is in the right direction. Let me give you, a, this, is, this is one of the keys that unlocks the mystery of the will of God for your life right here. Psalms 37.4, I believe it is. Psalm 37.4 says this. Be careful how you read this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. L- let, me, let me explain to you. Leave that up there for a sec. This verse right here unlocks, it's the key that unlocks discerning the will of God for your life. All right, this is one of the many keys that we're given in scripture. Now, here's what I want you to know about this verse. It was translated perfectly from the Hebrew. No errors whatsoever. Problem is, because it has been translated from a language that existed a couple thousand years ago into modern English, we read it wrong. It's accurate. That's what the Bible says. Problem is we read it backwards. The word of God says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The way we read it with our Americanized lens is when I have desires in my heart, if I delight myself in the Lord, he's going to give it to me. But that's not what that verse means. As a matter of fact, those last two words, those last three words of your heart could be shaved off so that we have the most accurate understanding of what this passage says. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires. We add of, of your heart so that it makes sense in English because it sounds like an incomplete sentence if we don't, but in reality, like this is what this passage is saying. As you are delighting yourself in the Lord, he will begin to implant his desires into your heart. That's what that verse means. Not the opposite. In other words, as we are pursuing and seeking the Lord, as our hearts are becoming more aligned with his because we are delighting ourselves, he already delights in you. Man, he's crazy about you. He sent his son because he was so in love with you. And because of Jesus paying the penalty for your sins, he can delight in you purely without reservation and hesitation, but like we need to delight ourselves in him. And in doing so, the heart of God will become ours. He will begin to implant desires into our heart that are in line with him, and we will be able to know and discern the will of God all the more clearly because we are living a life that delights ourselves in him. Here's another one. Matthew chapter 6, 33. Those of you that are trying to figure out, man, do I stay, do I go, do I go left, do I go right, what am I supposed to do? Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's almost identical to what was said in Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek the Lord. Move towards the Lord. Like, make that your primary mission. We oftentimes, like, try to seek the Lord when we want something from the Lord, But that's misunderstanding those scriptures. While you are seeking the Lord, he will make clear to you what it is that he wants from you. And until then, don't move on it. Seek the Lord with all your heart. He'll take care of the rest of the stuff. Oh, but Dustin, man, I spent a whole day last week seeking the Lord for direction. And he still didn't say anything. A whole day. You don't say. Wow. Man, way way to delight yourself in the Lord, man. Way to seek the Lord with all your heart. A whole day. Man, it might take you two hours, two weeks, two months, or 10 years. I don't know. 
But I know that the Lord is going to use that to engraft your heart together with his, and he will make himself clear when he's ready to be made clear. But he may be withholding a response from you because he knows as soon as you get what you came looking for, you're going to be back out doing what you was doing. Disconnected from him, so he continues to withhold because he is grafting your hearts together so that you learn to fall in love with him so that you can hear and discern his voice as sheep do a shepherd. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. Now, as we set that backdrop, let's get into Acts. Here's what I wanted to show you in Acts chapter 20 since we jumped over that whole deal right there. Acts chapter 20, this is what I want you to hear. The apostle Paul heard clearly what the Lord had for him, where he wanted him to go, and it was this, verse 22. Now behold, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem. Behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. This is why, this is how the Apostle Paul was telling us, like, I am so convicted, so in bondage by the fact that I, not bondage in a bad way, but I am so bonded into this because I know that the Spirit of God has confirmed and reaffirmed in my heart that no matter what's going to happen, no matter what comes out of it, I'm supposed to go back to Jerusalem to preach the gospel knowing good and full well I probably won't survive the trip. And he says, the Spirit has confirmed this in me. I am constrained by the Spirit in this. Like, there's no way around it. I, I just know that this is what the Lord has for me, and I don't know anything else. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there. All I know is that the Spirit told me and testified to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions are going to await me. Yet he goes on to say, but I don't count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. In other words, like, I want what God wants for me. And I'm so constrained by the Holy Spirit that I just, it ain't my way anymore. It's his way. And this one looks grim and bleak, but this is what the Lord's telling me to do, so I'm going to move forward in doing this thing. And then we get to Acts chapter 21, and Paul is experiencing this very challenging situation that many of you may experience in your life, and that's when other people in your life try to talk you out of it. And so we find in Acts chapter 21, it says, when he had parted from and set sail, from them and set sail, he came by the straight course of Kos and on the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, like just so you don't get lost in that, that little, the little maps in the back of your Bible, this is how you can follow along like where he was going geographically in these different stops. Uh, we went aboard and set sail and when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre and there the ship was to unload the cargo, like he's just kind of giving you the play-by-play. -play. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. They found some Christ followers in that community. They stayed there for seven days. And listen to this. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Wait a minute. The Lord just told me to, to go to Jerusalem. And that's why I'm passing through here. I'm on my way back. But it says there, Jesus-loving, God-fearing people in this community that grew to love Paul very quickly and said, no, 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 you ain't supposed to go. Now, many scholars agree on this fact right here. This, this wasn't a thus saith the Lord moment. This wasn't these people saying, God told us to tell you that you ain't supposed to go to Jerusalem. Many scholars agree with this fact that God had showed those people what was going to happen to Paul when he got to Jerusalem, so they concluded that he probably shouldn't go. They could see in part what they believe and understood was right and good. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, it's going to be a train wreck. You may not make it out alive. So obviously God doesn't want you to go. 
They saw in part, but God had already told Paul in full. You're supposed to go to preach the gospel, and it's not going to turn out good. All the godly friends saw that it's not going to turn out good, so you, may, you must not be supposed to go. Here, here's what I wanted you to see. All right, and i got to trust the Lord with how he's going to translate this to your heart. I do not want to affirm the person that doesn't need affirmed. I do not want to convict the person that doesn't need convicted. But here's the point. Not, not every spiritual word from a Christian friend or a professing Christian friend is always meant to redirect or course correct us. Uh, let me say that again. Not every spiritual word that's handed your way, even from credible sources, is meant to necessarily redirect or course correct us. I'm going to have to trust God with how that plays out in your life because I don't want to lead you into a train wreck because you just heard what you wanted to hear. Here's the point, though. Like, I'll give you some examples in my own life. It is not uncommon for me to leave here on a weekend with somebody having told me, God told me to tell you. Sometimes it's written. Sometimes it's spoken. Sometimes it's emailed. But I get words from the Lord a lot, as you might imagine. Uh, here's how I handle that. I, I ask myself, does it align with God's word? Does it align with the mission of our church? Does it align with what Ansley and I uh, believe of our life, the ministry of GBC? Is it aligned with what the elders have determined about the ministry and the leadership of GBC? Like I ask myself these questions because I, I don't doubt that from time to time the Lord uses the body of GBC or even a passerby to speak a word from the Lord to us. And quite honestly, like the few times that it has happened, that person did not realize God was speaking through them. I can tell you that much. They were just talking to me and I heard the voice of God like punch me in the face. They didn't know, they didn't come and say, the Lord sent me to tell you such and such. I, 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 instantly my red flag goes up when I hear that. If you have the gall, the audacity to tell me that the holy God, the rock of ages, the ones that the angels cry holy to around the clock, that he has so set you apart to give a specific word from his heart to mine through you, I'm going to listen to it because I've heard God talk through a donkey before. And I believe he could do it again. But you better double check yourself before you think you're operating on behalf of the holy God to bellow the very words of heaven to somebody else. I say that, I have heard, God has spoken through you to me before many times. But not every spiritual word, even when it comes from a credible source, is necessarily the voice of God. God may have showed them in part but maybe he showed you in whole, and you need to stay the course. Maybe. You know, I had a situation in my life. I share this story simply because this is what landed me at Grace Bible. It was, that, it was a moment like that. It was late in 2011, really late in the year in 2011. Uh, I had spent, I don't know, six or seven years in the entertainment industry, traveling around the country doing music. The band I was with at the time was at a place of success that it was time to make a decision whether we were going to make it a career or not. 
And I'll never forget sitting down at a coffee shop in Nashville with those of you Prince fans, Des Dickerson, the lead guitarist for Prince. And he sat down and he was talking to us as one of the, one of the presented offers about what we could, what the possibilities were for us if we signed with his entertainment company. And we had another offer on the table as well. And like, it was, we had worked hard to get to that point, but that when we were staring down the corridor of that being a life and a career, all of a sudden it got like, that was really sobering. Because I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do or that's what the Lord had for me. I was just kind of playing and having fun. And so the band, because these dudes love the Lord, we decided, um, you know what, let's take two months off the road and away from each other and let's just seek the Lord as individuals about God's plan for our lives as individuals. And in two months, we'll meet, we'll have a conversation, and we'll make the decision whether we're going to sign and make this a career or whether we're just going to say, hey, it was fun and go our separate ways. And I remember for those two months, some of y'all that were part of my life way back in that time, about 10 years ago, can remember me going through this journey on some level. And I just remember praying like diligently and asking God to give me direction. And we were two hours from having to make a decision, two hours from the meeting after two months of prayer, and God still had not responded yet. And I'm still just begging God for an answer. I wanted to honor him with whether or not I moved in that direction or not. And, like, and it's like the Spirit of God just spoke to me in such a powerful way, not audibly. I didn't hear what he said, but he's so... I'll tell you what happened. In that moment, just an hour and a half away from meeting with those guys, God broke my heart for Highlands County. He broke my heart for Grace Bible. And I wept over you. And I knew that the Lord was saying, you stay right here. And I was over his word, even godly counsel in my life, and even the, the conviction of the Spirit was telling me, don't go anywhere. This is where you're supposed to be. Something's coming up, and I've apportioned you for this season in your life to be right here. And so I let the band know. I was out. I, I felt guilty. It was hard. I was the singer. It's not like replacing a drummer. Like, you replace the singer, it messes up the branding, everything. The sound like, I felt really guilty about it, but I knew this is what the Lord had for me. Today I stand in front of you, it's been almost nine years later, knowing for certain, like, this is where God has for me, to be right here. Little did I know when the Lord told me to walk away from the music industry that four months later, the church was going to experience extraordinary peril, and I was going to be invited to step in as the interim lead pastor of Grace Bible Church. I didn't know why God was telling me to walk away. He hadn't said, walk away because this is what I have for you. He just broke my heart for the Heartland and Grace Bible Church. And I just had to wait to see why. And four months later, he showed me why. And eight and a half years later, I stand here with great confidence and conviction that I heard the voice of the Lord clearly. I'm right where I'm supposed to be right now in my life. You know? But here's, thank y'all, yeah. Here's what happened, though. You better believe I got some nasty emails from Nashville from Christian people. They were saying, like, you can't possibly be hearing the voice of God right now. You're, you're giving away an opportunity of a lifetime. Like, people work their whole lives and don't get this chance, and you're just going to walk away? They questioned my integrity. They questioned my ability to hear the word of the Lord. But God had so confirmed I already, he had already told me where my Jerusalem was. And it's a hell of high water, that's where I was going to be. And I had the confirmation in my heart, even though I was reading some nasty emails, because I knew that not every spiritual word 
from a credible source, a Christian, necessarily meant I needed to course correct and redirect. God had already spoken. And I had such a peace moving forward in that. And I'm so grateful that I did because this has been, a, I met my wife after that, y'all, right here in the heartland. I'd have still been some starving musician out in the middle of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? And God has been gracious and faithful to me through this transition of my life to the point where I'm standing here today getting a chance to tell you that story. And then we see this odd cluster of verses that pop up right after that. This kind of speaks to the person that cares about the person who's hearing from God, and yet you have an opinion about it. Check this out. When they had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. Say Caesarea. Yeah, and, and we entered the house of Philip. Say Philip, who's now called the evangelist. And he was one of the seven. The seven what? We'll talk about that here in a second. And Paul stayed with them. And this guy, Philip, just happened to have four unmarried daughters, all who had the gift of prophecy. Pretty cool stuff right here. Now, this is why this is important to the story. This speaks to the person that cares about the person. And you got an opinion about whether or not somebody's following the call of God on their life. Like, all right, here's Philip. Um, now, who is Philip? We get a little clue right there. Philip is an evangelist, and he's a part of one of the seven. Who's the seven? Deacons, that's right. Some of you have been along this journey of Acts with us, and you remember Philip way back from the beginning. And Philip was the one that preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch on the desert road. That was Philip. Philip was also one of the ones that got appointed to become one of the deacons in the very first church there in Jerusalem of Christians to help hand out soup to widows. It was Philip and Stephen and five other guys. Now, I mentioned Stephen because while Philip was serving as a deacon, what happened to one of the deacons named Stephen? He was publicly executed and stoned by who? This guy named Paul, who used to go by Saul, signed off on the execution. Not only that, it tells us in early Acts that we studied together that after Stephen's death, a group of godly men carried him outside the city and essentially had a funeral for him. Guess who one of the pallbearers for Stephen was? Philip. He saw his best friend get murdered, and he had to carry him outside of the city and perform a funeral for him. And if that wasn't bad enough, the apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, was the reason for it. It didn't stop there. Saul began to ravage the city of Jerusalem, dragging Christ's followers out of their houses. They'd be beaten in the streets, imprisoned. Many of the Christ's followers became displaced because of this. And so now we run into Philip again in Caesarea, 76 miles away. Not because he wanted to be there, not because he got a better job opportunity, but because Saul was going to kill him. And so he packed up his wife and his four daughters. There was no Uber. There was no airplanes. There was no buses. They packed up their house. They relocated their entire family. It was a wife and four daughters, so that meant he was carrying all the luggage. And his daughters had the gift of prophecy, so they taught the whole way, 76 miles, all the way to replanting in Caesarea. Not what they wanted all because of a guy named Saul. And then Saul got saved. And then Saul became Paul. And then Paul became a Christian missionary. And the next time he runs into Philip in Caesarea, what would you do if you were Philip? All the peril in Philip's life was because of Paul. But yet Paul comes into town, and Philip says, man, you stay at our house while you're here. What? 
Is that what you would have done? Yeah, yeah, you would have, right? So you could get at him in his sleep. You went and grabbed the shovel out of the shed once he went to sleep. He said, no, you stay at our house. Paul had caused extraordinary peril in this family's life, but yet, what a great discipleship opportunity for Philip to love on his family is to minister to Paul and to serve Paul on the process, in the process of following God's call in his life. Here's what I wanted to tell the person who cares about the person, who's hearing the call of God, who has an opinion about the person, who hears the call of God on their life, moving them, doing something with them, like, Here's what I learned from Philip right here. Don't let your past, your bitterness, your opinions, your unforgiveness, your hardship, what used to happen, what you think might happen as a result, don't let any of that stand in the way of you serving someone on the road to fulfilling the Lord's call on their life. Don't get in the way. Either serve the process or just stay out of the way. Either open up the home of your life, minister to them on the journey, or just stay out of the way. Don't get in the way. Don't let the past things and hurts that haunt you get in the way. Serve them in the process, just like Philip. And while he was there, they stayed for many days, and a prophet named Agabus came in from Judea. And coming to us, he looked at Paul's, he took Paul's belt, he bound it around his feet, this whole theatrics deal bounded around his own hands and feet and said, this is what the Holy Spirit said. Paul, you're not listening to us when we tell you not to go to Jerusalem, so let me act it out. This is what God showed us. That this is how the Jews of Jerusalem are gonna bind the man that owns this belt and deliver him over to the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people were urging him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison and even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Here's what I want you to see in that. The guy acting out what God had been showing them, and you can see why they were telling Paul not to go. I want you to see like their concern for Paul was now at a fevered pitch, so much so that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts for the first time, just wrote himself into the story. He wasn't just saying, and the people were telling Paul not to go. He said, we did. I was following him writing his biography, but like enough's enough. So I set down the parchment and the pen, and I got on my knees and begged Paul not to go either. Like, hey, it's been cool following you along, writing your biography, but I'd like to do it without a bulletproof vest on if you don't mind. And so Luke joins in the fevered pitch as they're crying and weeping and begging, like, we've seen what's going to happen to you. Obviously, God doesn't want you to go. And Paul's saying, no, the Lord does want me to go. You're only seeing in part, not in the whole. And even joined in them and shared in that emotion, he's feeling the broken heart they were feeling because he loved them. He had eaten with them. He had lived life with them. They had been through some stuff together. And he's like, he shared in that brokenness. And this reminds me, like, in these moments, as you are the one pursuing the call of God in your life, like you're not gonna be exempt from the same emotions that everybody around you is feeling. You may share in that too. You may be afraid too. You may be afraid to leave what's comfortable too. You may be brokenhearted over the relationships that just aren't gonna be the same again too, but like, what we learn from Paul here is 
my emotions and even the emotions of others around me, even ones that I care about, they're not, they're not always accurate indicators of truth, are they? Just because you're doing what the Lord has for you doesn't mean you're not going to feel all the feelings. Doesn't mean that you aren't going to feel every possible human emotion that's going to say, just don't. Rationalize your way around it. Don't do this. But the Apostle Paul can continued with steely resolve no matter what he was feeling in the moment because the Lord had said, this is what we're going to do. And so that really brings, either God has called you to the thing or he has not called you to the thing. All right, so don't rationalize your way into it or rationalize your way out of it. Don't let the emotions jurisdict for you what truth is in those moments. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when the Lord gives us a clear response and a clear answer, don't let our emotions or the emotions of those around us try to determine for us that, well, maybe we didn't hear this right. Does it line up with his word, his people, the Holy Spirit of God that dwells richly within you, O Christ follower? Continue to march forward with steely resolve. Feel all the feelings. Love on the people. Minister to them through it. But do what the Lord has told you to do. And last but not least, to that group of people on the outside looking in, you care about the person that feels like they have direction from the Lord. And you have opinion about it, obviously. This is what they did. Since he would not be persuaded, verse 14, Take a look at this. Since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. That in and of itself takes a great deal of faith and trust in the Lord. Because I bet there's a mom and a daddy in here whose young adult daughter has been telling them, but I love him. I know this is what God wants from me. And mama's saying, no, it ain't. And daddy's over there cleaning his gun. <laughs> there comes a place in our lives where we have to recognize our job title in people's lives. We might be mom. We might be dad. We might be pastor. We might be elder. We might be friend. We might be cousin. There comes a point in our lives and in our journey we have to recognize that one of the list of things on our job description is not Holy Spirit. And there comes a point in our faith journey where we're just going to have to surrender the hard situation to the Lord and just trust him with the outcome. Even if you know for certain so-and-so is taking the absolute wrong direction, it came to a point where they could not be persuaded, so they ceased, including Luke. They ceased with the theatrics. They ceased with the fevered pitch of emotion. They had already tried. They had already debated. They had already persuaded. They even acted it out. But Paul was so certain this is what he was supposed to do. And so they resolved and resigned themselves to, all right, Lord, your will, not mine. That might be the hardest thing you ever do as a parent. That may be the hardest thing you ever do as a believer to let the ones that you love follow the direction that God is they believe God is leading them, and you have a totally different opinion about that. I'm not saying that you need to trust that they are hearing more clearly than you. What I am saying is that we need to be reminded that he is God, and we are not, and we need to trust him with the outcome. Who knows if God is leading them towards a place that you don't want them to go because of the work he's about to do in them, to them, and through them, and as long as you keep insulating them, God's not going to have the full bore opportunity to step into their story, 
to do what he does best, to give them eyes to see and ears to hear so that hopefully, maybe one day, they will see God ever so clearly. I know this is a tough situation. Let's pray about that. And let's just ask the Lord to give us the wisdom that could only come from him. And Father, I thank you for your love for us. And I know that you are actively involved in the lives of those that declare Jesus as Lord. And Lord, we want to hear you clearly. And we need your direction. Lord, I pray that you would affirm those that need affirmation and confidence. To move forward with a steely resolve. And I pray if they are moving forward, misstepping in disobedience, Lord, that you would bring conviction, that you would bring them back, that you would get them back online. And for those of us that are on the outside looking in, the people we love are hearing the move of God in their life, and we got an opinion about it. Lord, help us to submit all the stuff of life, including that person, to you, to pray, to trust, and leave the results up to the King of glory. In Jesus' name we pray.